What a blessing it is to worship in the house of the Lord and in this amazing season uh, in which we celebrate and look toward the coming of Christ. Uh, We're beginning a new series, a short series in this season. We are going to get back to the story of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, after the first of the year, but this is a good time to think about Uh, the coming of Christ, and to think about all the things that point toward the coming of Christ. So uh, we're in a a series that's going to focus on the elements of Advent. Advent really just means the event. That's that's what it means. And so in all of the Bible, there's this one event. It divides history. This one event, the coming of Jesus. And so We want to focus on that and think about that, and we're talking about hope. Uh, This is a season of expectation, and we'll focus on four different themes, hope, salvation, joy, and peace uh, are the candles that we will be lighting, all leading up uh, to the celebration of the coming of Christ, uh, the Christ candle that we light on Christmas Eve. And so that's why we read scriptures, and that's why uh, we light candles to remind us of the the core substance of our faith. Hope is really at the heart of the whole message of the Bible. Uh, If you think about it, all through the scripture, at times when things seemed the very darkest, God reveals hope. Uh, And we have this thing that we call the messianic hope, the hope uh, that That God is going to come, he's going to show up, he's going to save us, he's going to bring victory over sin and death. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. There's a thread that goes all the way through the scripture. Hope is especially gained as a momentum during the exile, the period of history that we've been studying Uh, We've been looking at uh, this time when all of a sudden everything that that had been happening for God's people got torn loose. People lost their land, they lost their homes, they lost their temple, and now uh, they're coming back. And we hear this prophetic message uh, from uh, from the various prophets, but especially from uh, the prophet Isaiah, speaking with hope about the coming of Jesus So I'm going to read the scripture in a few moments from Isaiah chapter 9, and I've asked Stephanie Greer to come, and she's going to play, after I read the scripture, uh, a melody that should be familiar to you. Uh, It is the melody, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, It's a very famous Advent carol, uh, and it's over 1,200 years old. I didn't know that. Uh, But it goes back to medieval times and was sung in the Vesper services of the monasteries. It expresses, uh, they they call it a haunting melody, and I I love that, in the sense that it, it expresses the longing of God's people for the coming of Messiah, for God with us. And so let us hear the word and then, and then spend that time of reflection. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, 
the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us... A son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. invite you to stand and let's say these words as a prayer at this season. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen. You can be seated. We often say that Advent is the season of hope. But what do we mean when we say the word hope? What are we talking about? 
I was thinking about it this week and it occurred to me, we use the word hope in a whole lot of different ways to mean a lot of different things. We'll say, well, I'm hoping for the best. And we kind of cast that aside almost as if we don't really expect the good thing to happen. I know this week is, uh, has been a, a big week in football. Any of you notice that? They, they call it rivalry week. And they plan all these rivalries. on. The, it's really not Thanksgiving. It's rivalry week. And there are these big games. Uh, and you'll hear a lot about people who are hoping to win the big game. And um, I don't know if any of you noticed, but Michigan beat Ohio State. Yeah, okay, all right. Some fans there. And Georgia beat Georgia Tech. Sorry, boob. Sorry, Tech fans. Alabama beat Auburn. Clemson lost to South Carolina. Uh, LSU lost to Texas A&M. Boy, that was a big one. And last night we were watching that that UCF-USF game. My goodness, USF came back and almost got it at the end. How many of you know they were hoping a lot uh, to get that win? And there was some other game that happened this weekend. I, oh, oh, yeah, that one, that Gator uh, FSU game. Yeah, well, I was hoping a lot on that one. And, and my, my hopes uh, were disappointed. And maybe some of you, your hopes were disappointed as well. Uh, we have to realize that oftentimes we use uh, the word hope as an alternative word for wish. Well, I wish that would happen, but... But we know we're not really sure that it will come out in that way. Uh, And that's really the worldly hope, the way that hope is spoken of. Uh, It's always mixed with doubt. There's a doubt there. We might hope for something that we're really pretty sure is not going to happen. But the Bible uses the word hope in a very different way. Uh, I was kind of surprised to learn that uh, the word hope appears in the Bible 156 times. That's a whole lot. In many ways, you could say that the whole Bible is about hope from beginning to end. What really surprised me is that uh, the Bible uses uh, the word hope 80 times in the Old Testament and only 76 times in the New Testament. If you had asked me, I would say it would be the other, weighted the other way. I would say, oh, the New Testament, that's the Testament of hope. Uh, And and Old Testament, well, that's kind of the, and you'll hear that sometimes. Old Testament, that's sort of the the judgmental part of the Bible, not so. Uh, In fact, so much in what we call Old Testament, so much of what we find in the Hebrew Scripture points with hope toward what is fulfilled in the New Testament. And we really don't want to miss that. That word appears 26 times in the book of Psalms. That's not a surprise. It's a book of worship. 20 times in the book of Job. That surprised me. An awful lot. The word hope appears in the book of Job more than in many other books of the Bible. And we think of, of Job as a, it talks about suffering. It talks about really, really hard times. And, and it teaches us about the way that hope can coexist with suffering. In fact, hope springs forth out of times of suffering and difficulty. Those two are very much related. Seven times in the book of Isaiah, and and Isaiah is very much concerned with the comfort of God's people in exile, bringing them back, pointing toward the return that we've been studying this fall 
in the book of Ezra. It's interesting because there are several words in Hebrew that are translated hope. And one is the Hebrew word bata. Say that word with me, bata. And bata means confidence. It means security. It means to be without care. That is not worried. To not be worried. To not have doubt. So it's a very strong word that we find in in the Hebrew scripture uh, referring to hope. In fact, the concept of doubt is not a part of this word at all. We find it in, in Job and in Psalms and in Ecclesiastes. But there are a couple of other words in Hebrew that give us an even deeper place of understanding. And, and I want to share that with you today. As we've studied the exile this fall, we focused on a message of hope that was it was given prophetically before the exile, to, almost as a reassurance. You're, when this bad thing happens, uh, Jeremiah gives this reassurance. God has not forgotten about you. God has plans for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of our favorites. And now we know, because we've studied it, where it comes from. It comes from right before looking toward this time of exile that was going to be very difficult. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Why don't we read it out loud together? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Why don't we read it with gusto? How about that? Let's read it again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, the exile could have been a time of absolute hopelessness. I mean, if there's ever a time in Scripture where we might have said, boy, this is a hopeless time, it would have been in the exile. And yet, prophesying toward that time, we hear these words. I know the plans I have for you, and they are plans to give you a future and a hope. How many of you believe that? Yeah, we need to believe that and take hold of that. The word that's used there is one of my very favorite words in all of Hebrew, I think. And it's the word tikva, the Hebrew word. Tikva uh, is, it is translated hope. It comes from a root word, another root word. You're going to get a lot of Hebrew today. And it comes from the word kava, uh, which literally is a cord. Um, it's, it's literally a, like a rope. And it means an expectancy. It's translated to mean expectancy for something in the future longed for that you take hold of. And I love that image. I love this word. It's just amazing. And especially when we find it in this scripture, God did not say, I have plans to give you a future and a wish. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, I have plans to give you a future and a wish mixed up with some doubt, and I'm not really sure how it'll come out. He didn't say that. God did not say that. He said, I plan to give you a future and a hope. In the book of Ezra that we've been studying, we saw the glimmer of this hope being fulfilled. We saw this incredible return, things no one could have imagined happening. We saw that the Persian king... He got stirred up and he decided, you know what? You folks need to go home. You need to go home and worship your God because your God is powerful. And you need to worship in a, in a temple. You need to go rebuild that temple that you had before. Persian king, a pagan king, 
We studied through that. It was an amazing thing. And so God's people were, were liberated from Babylon and they were funded for their return. Uh, God aided in the funding of the rebuilding of their homes and their lives and their temple. Uh, and then 80 years later, we hit a hard spot. That was last weekend we studied. The people have been unfaithful. But there was hope even in that time when Israel confronted this terrible state of the nation. Uh, remember from last week in Ezra chapter 10, uh, Shechaniah is one of the leaders. And Shechaniah gets up to speak on behalf of the people. He's the son of Jehiel and the sons of the sons of Elam. And he addressed Ezra. He said, we have broken faith. It's a confession. We've broken faith with our God. We get it. We have really messed up. Over time, we drifted. Over time, we started looking more like the culture around us than looking like God. Looking at the ways of the culture and cultures around us. We married foreign women from the peoples of the land. And even, but then I love this, the next phrase, but even now there is hope. Even as we make confession. Why don't we say that phrase? But even now there is hope. For Israel, in spite of this. Shechaniah was speaking on behalf of, of the people uh, who had realized we need to go home. We need to return spiritually to the home that God has set for us. And that's called repentance. It's where we realize I've been going the wrong way and I'm going to go the right way. I'm going to go the way of God. I'm going to return. And I love this passage because it reminds us that there's always hope. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, uh, there's just no hope for me, Pastor Jeff. I say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't even, don't even start to go. That's a lie from the enemy. That is a lie of the devil. There is always hope. No matter the situation, no matter when we feel great hopelessness, there is always hope. And the Bible teaches something about hope that is quite different from the world around us. The Bible teaches that hope does not disappoint. Now we're talking about biblical hope. We're not talking about the wishy-washy stuff, Okay. We're not talking about wishing for your team. Teams are great and and victories are wonderful, but you don't always get them. We're talking about something much bigger than that, biblical hope. Biblical hope is the assurance that God is not finished with his plans for us. How many of you believe that? I mean, boy, we need to take hold of that. If you don't get anything else, we need to take hold that God is not finished. He's not done with his people. He's not done with his world. Sometimes it looks that way, but no, there is always biblical hope. Biblical hope is rooted in knowing that God will not leave us or forsake us. That's a promise from scripture. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Those are two different things. Leave is to leave physically. Forsake means to abandon. He will do neither of those things. He won't do that. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, well, you don't know how bad I've been, Pastor. (laughs) I don't care. I read my Bible. There's some really bad stuff. I don't care what has gone on in your life. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You can always come back to him. You can always return to him. There's always hope. Amen? Yeah. Biblical hope is tied to faith that trusts that God is still in control, even in what appear to be the worst of times. I think that's why in the book of Job we find hope is lifted up so very much and so often. Hope is very much tied 
uh, to faith in Scripture. Hebrews 11.1 1 uses this in the definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith and, and hope go together. The conviction of things not seen. We don't doubt them, but they are things we don't see. Biblical hope carries no doubt. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says it this way. For in this hope, and it's talking about the hope of resurrection in this passage of scripture. For in this hope we were saved. It's, it's what saves us. Now hope that is seen is not hope. <laughs> for who hopes for what he sees? No, we already see that. But if we hope for what we do not see, for what is to come, we wait for it with patience. That's what hope is about. Biblical hope is a reality. It's not a feeling. We often say that about love. We say love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Love is a choice. It's how we choose to regard another person. It's how we choose to treat another person. And it's the same thing with hope. Hope is a reality. Biblical hope is something that God actually puts in us. It's really a gifting, although it's not listed among gifts. It's a gifting. Biblical hope is in God, not in a change of circumstance. Well, I'm hoping my situation will change. I'm hoping to get this new job. Well, I mean, wishing and, and, and a new job may help a lot, but our hope is in God. We need to hang on to that. It's not going to be the change of circumstance. Winning the game <laughs> on the victory, you know, the, the rivalry weekend is not going to change everything in your life. Our hope needs to be in God. You know, I was watching some of the games and they talk that way. They talk about how this game is going to define these young men for the rest of their lives. And it's going to set their trajectory and all this. And I'm like, their hope needs to be in God. I, I'm glad they won the game. They won't forget this collegiality. They won't forget this team. No. But it's, it's about something bigger. Amen? Yeah. It's not about the change of circumstance. Biblical hope is a sure foundation upon which we base our lives. Believing that God always keeps his promises. Do you believe that? God always keeps his promises. And so in the most difficult of times... God stirred up hope in his people. Isaiah 8 says it so beautifully. Because in a very, very difficult and dark time, uh, we find this verse. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Even in the times when I feel like God is hiding his face from me. I feel like that. And they were in a time of judgment. That, that they have brought on themselves. He says, I will hope in what? In him. Our hope is in God. And I will take hold of that hope. And that's the word, tikva. Say with me, tikva. It's such a great word. From that same root, there's another word that I learned this week. I didn't know. Aren't you glad when your pastor learns something? I know I talk to people, they say, I don't need to go to church because I already know it all. I'm so glad you know it all because I'm learning something all the time. Another Hebrew word that's translated, it's another form, is the word mikvah. Say that with me, 
mikvah. So we've got tikvah, say tikvah, not too difficult, and mikvah. Both words come from the root kava. They're from the same root. Kava means waiting with confidence. It also means to bind by twisting together, to be bound together, uh, like the twisting of yarn or the twisting of a rope. I, I, I brought a piece of rope with me today. It's just a simple rope. But I, I, you're familiar with this sort of uh, thing here. And this piece of rope, it's tied together at the end so it won't un- unravel. But it's got three strands. And those three strands are twisted together. And what we know about rope is that the three strands are much stronger than the individual strands themselves. And you can test that out. But the three strands, when they are bound together, are much stronger, much more powerful, uh, much more difficult to break than, than the three individual, the culmination of the three strands. And when we talk about tikvah, when we talk about, about hope, we are literally talking about a rope or a cord. I mean, that's the literal word. Mikvah is a little bit different. Mikvah means a gathering together of cord. It means a weaving together. It could be like linen or fabric. It's a fabric of cords that are brought together, both are really important to understand. It also can mean a gathering or a pool of water. Now, that's really interesting because mikvah, the way I have known that word, is there's something called a mikvah bath. In Judaism, it's the, the mikvah is the bath for purification rituals. It's also the bath that is used. It's a pool of water. It's a, a stone container in the ancient world. If you go to Israel, you'll see mikvahs uh, that have been uncovered in the archaeological digs. And the mikvah is the place of purification. It's where the Jewish people would go for purification various times, but also at the time of conversion. It was a place of purification, this gathering together. Well, that's so powerful. Just think about that because when we talk about hope in scripture, it's a really rich word. We're talking about hope on a rope. That's the way I like to think about it. Not to be confused with soap on a rope. That's something entirely different. Did any of you remember this? Yeah. Soap on the rope. It used to be the go-to gift for your dad back in about 1970. All right. Anybody actually get the microphone and you sang in the shower? Okay. Well, that's not what we're talking about, but now you'll never forget it, right? Tikva is hope on a rope. What are we talking about here? It's a lifeline. Hope is the lifeline that's thrown to us by God. It's an amazing thing to to think about it that way. If if I throw you this rope, if 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 I'm trying... You're flailing around and you're about to go under and I toss you a rope. What do you have to do? You got to grab it. You got to take hold of it. Hope is not going to do its thing without you taking hold of it. And so hope is something we have to take hold of. We really don't want to miss that. It's so very important. And hope is the cord that pulls us forward scripturally all the way from back in Genesis, 
back in the garden, bringing us forward all the way to the end of Revelation. Hope is a rope. And hope is sure. Hope is sure. I, you know, I, I found this picture because I think of a, a life ring, tossing a life ring. We're flailing around, about to go under. We're about to lose everything. And, and there's a life ring that comes to us. But it is only as sure as whoever's at the other end of that. If a child, little child throws you a life ring and they're there on the dock, it's not very sure because they may not be able to, to pull you. But God's on the other end of that life ring. God is on the other end of that lifeline. And what an amazing thing that is to think about and to, to, to take hold of. We have to take hold of the hope and know he is sure. There's this other meaning, the, the fabric meaning. Hope is in the fabric. It's in the mikveh. Uh, and this is the fabric of the community of faith. Sometimes people say, well, my hope is in Jesus. I've got Jesus. Yes, but you need the fabric too. You need the weaving together. Uh, of, of all of, of us as we hope together. And it's so amazing to think that this is, this is the community of faith, but it's also the place of purification. The Bible talks about the washing of the water and the word. That's what we come together to do. We come together to find purification in Christ through the water of the spirit and through the word of God. That's what we're doing right now. This is a washing place. You know, you could, you could very easily say, we say, well, I'm going to church this morning. You could say, I'm going to mikvah this morning. I'm going to the, the gathering. I'm going to the pool. I'm going to the, the fabric of God's people to be cleansed and made pure and made whole. And, and we don't want to miss that. This is the righteousness that comes only in new life that we find in Christ. And this is where we find it. And if you think about it in the season of Advent, Jesus, Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God with us, comes to give us the rope and the fabric, everything that we need, the place of purification and the rope that we hold on to. He's the one that we can take hold of to pull us toward the future that he has for us, a hope and a future, a rope and a future. Yeah. And he is the fabric of the body of Christ where we grow and we serve and we care for one another. Boy, I watch that so many times. I see people who are going through really hard times. We've had people in our, in our community that have become very sick, have had very hard things that they're facing, and it's the community, the fabric comes around them. It's amazing to watch the fabric of the body of Christ come around people. This is, this is the place. This is the place of purification. And he gives us all of that. Listen again to the prophet Isaiah, the words that I read a, a few minutes ago. We were in gloom, anguish, and contempt. But he has made a glorious way. We have walked in darkness, stumbling around, but we will see a great light. The nation has been multiplied. The rod of the oppressor has been broken. Garments have been rolled in blood, but they will be burned as fuel. There's all this victory that we find in this message of Advent. 
None greater than these words. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. If you're like me and you grew up singing it, you say Wonderful Counselor. (laughs) But it's Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He comes to establish the throne of David and rule with justice and righteousness. So how do we find our hope? How do we find all of that? I like to make things very practical in simple ways. And number one, we find hope in his word. It shouldn't surprise you. I talk about that all the time. In his word, Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. We need to open the word of God. We need to immerse ourselves in the word of God. That's what we're doing right now. That's what we do in our classes. That's what we do at home. When we have uh, private quiet times with him, we hear the word and we hope in his word. The second uh, way is that we find hope by returning to him. We need that place of repentance that was talked about in in, uh, Ezra chapter 10 to, to return I love the verse in Zechariah 9. It says, return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Wow. If you're going to be a prisoner, be a prisoner of hope. I want to be known as a prisoner of hope. Amen. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. So there's a a restoration that's promised in that scripture. And the third is that we find a living hope as we are born again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is in him. Our hope is, is that we find resurrection and we are born again. You know, I was, I was over there just before I came up to speak and I, and I looked down and and the, the rail over there caught my eye. Many of you are familiar that these rails are about 27 years old. We, uh, a man in the church built them when we were just a, a put-together church uh, in a temporary location. And over the years, uh, we, we have had this practice where young people um, and older people, when they come to know Jesus, when they are saved, they write their name uh, on there with the date. And I, was, I looked down and I saw one of the names there. And I, and I didn't look to see when it was written, but it was a bold statement. Uh, the name over there is Emily, and it has a heart, you know. And, and what a, an amazing thing to nail down and know, I am saved. Jesus has saved me. And that's preserved there, but it's preserved in, in the book of life. It's preserved in the heart of God. And how important, because that is our hope. That person was writing that down, and many, many have written that down as a a statement of hope because they have trusted and they have been born again and they they know the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus as, as a truth for them. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. 
and we'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's our celebration, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to invite you to pray um, these words once again. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And, uh, and let's just say these together and then we'll continue in prayer. Let's pray. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. It may be that as we have been studying together, you've realized that you really never had a time when you wrote it down. You never really had a time when you knew that you had been saved, when you took hold of the hope of Jesus and knew for sure that you would spend eternity with him. It wasn't, I wish so. It's that you knew that you had hope in him. If you've never done that, you should do that today. Wow, what a great time. And you can do so with a, a simple prayer of your heart that says, Lord Jesus, I get it, I need you. You may have resisted, but this is the time to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Give me courage and strength to turn away from my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Make me pure. Make me whole. Give me hope and a future. Make me born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And God, we just pray that that would be the case. Father, I thank you so much that you meet us in these seasons. You meet us in these times We are so grateful for the way that you work in us and among us. In this season of Advent, may we discover you more clearly, more completely than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen.